Hey guys, welcome to Church Online at SABC. Great to have you with us virtually. We hope you're really enjoying the setup we've got and we hope you're also enjoying meeting with other people um, in your home or their homes. Um, this morning we've got a talk from Robert continuing his series in Genesis and thinking about the Kingdom of God. And we also have some song worship prepared, uh, which will come up before Robert's talk uh, in a moment. Uh, but before we, uh, we carry on, Zoe Hunter mentioned a few weeks ago about the need for uh, fortifying porridge, or the recommendation for fortifying porridge and a good cup of tea. And I was so proud of Zoe saying that as a massive uh, self-confessed porridge fanatic. But I thought that raises the question of what is fortifying porridge? So I've got some I've uh, made here, and um, it's quite a big bowl granted, but I'm a growing lad, and uh, we've got, what have we got? We've got grated apple, we've got banana, we've got um, flicks of peanut butter, cinnamon, obviously the oats and milk, and, and a dash of water, key ingredients too. Uh, so yeah, I thought I'd just uh, share my, uh, hmm, my passion and uh, my preference on fortifying porridge. So hopefully you've got some with you this week, and if not, Love to see some pics of your porridge next week. So, God bless, guys. Enjoy the um, setup we've got and catch you soon. Bye. Wandering into the night. Wanting a place to hide this weary soul, this beggar bones. And I tried with all my might, but I just can't win the fight. I'm slowly drifting.
in robes all white. The blazing sun shall pierce the Here's my life, Lord. Here's my life. 
Kia Welcome to Church Together in Your House this morning. And thank you for letting me come and share the word with you today. And today I'm doing another in the series I've been doing all year on the Kingdom of God. Let me start this morning by reminding us all just how great our King is. Because the Kingdom reflects the nature of the King. And look, these are just some of the things the Bible teaches us about who the king is. He is our sovereign king. He is our conquering king, our creator king, king of light, king of life, king of rest, king of relationships, king of family, king of grace, king of justice, king of mercy, and king of provision. He is a healing king, all-knowing king, all-present king, all-powerful king, the eternal king, a majestic king. He is the king of glory, a holy king, our king of righteousness, king of hope and the king of promise. He is the king of peace, the king of love and the king of joy. And he is the king who saves. Friends, don't you get excited when you realize that we have a king like this. And as you know, as I've been going through the Kingdom of God series, we've been looking at the first chapters in Genesis. And today is no different. And today's talk is entitled, The Kingdom of God, Prepare for Battle. Because today we start on chapter 3 in Genesis. And up to now in our series, God's Kingdom has been in full control of time and space. But it is about to change. Man is about to rebel. So let's read together from Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? The man answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And, he, and God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? You know, God had set mankind up with an incredible future, partnering with him, and actually causing the planet that they were created into to become something magnificent and glorious, spreading the Garden of Eden throughout the planet. But at the very 
start of the whole operation, they rebelled. It's amazing. They blew it. The battle lines became drawn. And the battle is for the conquering king, who we know is Jesus, to reassert his righteous, life-giving rule over a rebellious planet. The alternate is for mankind to serve the devil, tricked into thinking that they, that is mankind, know better than God, and that we can be in charge of our own destiny. But as Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. Consequently, because Adam and Eve rebelled against God, their intimate relationship collapses into guilt, shame, fear, and separation. Whereas God's aim was always for us to have abundant, fruitful life. The devil's aim is to destroy God's kingdom. It's just his nature, it's who he is. That is his driving force. So now, there is a fight on the planet for who is in control. And from our perspective, this fight occurs at three different levels that I want us to consider this morning. And the first one I'm calling the strategic war through history. This battle that started on the day of man's fall will continue until this world comes to an end. When God finishes the devil's ability to accuse and influence God's followers. And we can read what happens there in Revelations chapter 20. If you remember a few talks ago, I talked about how Genesis 1, 2 and 3 and Revelation 20, 21 and 22 are like bookends for the whole of the rest of the story in the Bible. And so Revelations 22 starts to bring us to the end of this planet as we know it. And to the end of the battle that we entered into. And it says from verse 10, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulphur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great, great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as, regarding, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown, or I could say she also, was thrown into the lake of fire. Then after this, the new heaven and earth are established. Everything is made new. All those who chose to follow God will go on into eternity with an existence that our present human minds can't comprehend and their present physical bodies couldn't survive in. It will be an incredible, incredible place to be. 
And throughout history, between the fall and this end of our planet, God continually intervenes to ensure his purposes are carried out and that his victory in this battle is assured. As the old saying goes, at the end of the book, we win. Examples, God demonstrated a fresh start through Noah. He calls a family of faith through Abraham. He builds a nation meant to be dedicated to him, constantly intervening in their journey. He enters creation through his son, Jesus. And then he establishes an organization called the church, his body, to continue his mission on this planet till the end. And friends, we know that Jesus won the victory when he paid the penalty for mankind's sin on the cross and gave us a way back into having a relationship with God once more and the, the ability to go on into eternity and experiencing this incredible existence. But until that final day of judgment, we still live in a world where the battle rages on. And remember, this battle for God's kingdom isn't a geographical battle. It isn't for a place like an earthly war is. The battle isn't for land or territory. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 18 and verse 36. Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. This battle is for the hearts, minds and souls of people. Who do people want to have as their leader? Do they want to have God as king or the devil in charge? There are only two choices after all. God's kingdom on this planet is wherever he is put back in charge, where a rebellion is overcome. And it is all about people, friends. Understanding this war and what is at stake is fundamental to understanding the rest of the Bible. Jesus talked about this, para, uh, this battle in one of his parables. In Matthew 21, verses 33 to 40, he says this. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? Now, in context, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees of his day and accusing them of being the tenants the one the land was rented to. However, like most other stories in the Bible, 
They are included to widen our understanding in so many areas. And this parable can be applied, I believe, in a number of ways. For a start, we could apply this parable personally. When we want and consider ourselves as the tenants. When we, when we want to deny God and be in charge of ourselves, then we are also like the servants in this parable. And if that is the case, what will happen to us when Jesus returns? Scriptures we read out in Revelation are quite clear. We need to have our names written in the book of life. The story can also be applied to the big picture of the battle for the kingdom. God giving this mankind this planet to enjoy, followed by the open rebellion of Adam and Eve and the generations of rebellious people who have followed them, culminating in the killing of God's only son, Jesus. But friends, remember, the battle isn't for land or territory. The battle is for who is in charge of our hearts and minds. Jesus went on to say about God's kingdom location in Luke 17, 20-21. Once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. It exists when you put Jesus in charge. Friends, the battle is for the hearts and minds of people. It's not controlled by the circumstances but it is limited by our belief. You might ask, why didn't the battle end when, on the cross? When Jesus died on the cross and rose again, why wasn't the battle completely over at that point? Why does the world continue today with pain and suffering when it could have been ended then? Friends, this is because of the second level of the battle. And that second level is that God's kingdom must be full. God's kingdom must be full. Now, it's easy for us to think that the, the battle for the kingdom of God is, is about our circumstances, the world that we live in, the, how good or bad things are. But actually, God wants heaven to be full of people. Who have chosen to follow him. Look at what another, another parable of Jesus and, and an excerpt from that from Matthew 22. In verse 8 it says, Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite to, and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find both. They looked for both good and bad. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. And Jesus is talking about heaven here, folks. The wedding supper of the, the Lamb. The Apostle Peter said this in 2 Peter 3 verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come 
to repentance. You know, Jesus is coming back a second time and at an appointed time. And when he comes back, heaven will be full of people who have chosen who have chosen God's kingdom over the kingdom of this world. And so it is our responsibility, if we are already in God's kingdom, to fight for the souls of others. It isn't enough just to sit back and hope. We need to be active in the fight. We don't just want people to have a better life. We want them to have an eternal life. We're actively praying for friends, families, cities and nations of people to be saved and actively participating in the presentation of the gospel, sharing God's goodness and demonstrating the power of the kingdom. As I've been working through this series, I hope your understanding of God's kingdom is growing and developing. If it has, I suspect you'll notice a shift when you read the gospels next. And start, and you, you might start to see some things from a fresh perspective. One of the best cosp, uh, gospels for seeing this take place is the Gospel of Matthew, and it, in Matthew's structure, what you'll discover as you read through through there, and I hope you read it over the next couple of weeks. What you'll discover is that in chapter six, Jesus starts on the Sermon Mount, uh, Sermon of the Mount around the Beatitudes. And he teaches about the kingdom. Then in the middle chapters, he demonstrates the kingdom. And then in the latter chapters before the cross, once again, he teaches about the kingdom. And Jesus' example is the same for us. It's the approach that we are to take. This is how we are to continue doing the battle. We're to teach and demonstrate Share and show. Remember, the battle is for souls. Now, I hope we all impact the world around us to make it a better place. Jesus did tell us to pray that as it is in heaven, that it would come down to earth. I hope we contribute to organisations that are making a difference. You know, NHT, Ramp Up, Acts, Crossroads, Hagar. These are just some organisations that make a difference and have some degree of con linkage or connection to SABC. And there are many more other organisations that are making a difference in the world and we can contribute to, and we should. I hope we're all making a difference in our workplace or place of learning and helping to make it a better place for the people that are there. I hope we're all taking an interest in, in political issues and having a say when what is being proposed goes against what God says. I hope we're all coming alongside people, helping them experience God's love, peace and joy, his healing and freedom because they encountered Jesus through us. But these, these things aren't necessarily the key focuses of the battle for the kingdom. All these things are what we should expect because we are becoming more Christ-like. It is the behaviour of God's kids that we should expect. It is, you know, friends, it is easy to think focusing on circumstances is the battle. But let me remind you of something. Growth and victory of God's kingdom isn't controlled by circumstances. Now, if governments are good or governments are bad, 
the church grows. And in fact, places where the government is bad, and even if you look in the history of the Bible where there is persecution, the church grew incredibly. You know, if there's need or if there's plenty, the opportunity is there for God's people to be active in growing the kingdom and seeing people come in to the kingdom. Now, when life is tough and pain exists, people can turn to God for help and comfort. Studies have shown that people are four times more likely to make a good decision.